Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we're going to be talking with today. Uh, before we even get started, though, I want to let you know that uh, Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by a Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office. Uh, the Port of Seattle. Uh, uh, let me get my notes out here. <laughs> uh, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. Uh, they have the African Lounge and Mountain Room Bar at Concourse A. Uh, this is the City of Seattle Prison Construction Services Office. And pretty soon we'll be de- dealing with me and Rice at the Port of Seattle and the Diversity Contracting Office. A lot of people made a lot of commitments. Stephanie Ogle does our website. And uh, some strange things happening at Sound Transit. I see where on the front page today that this uh, tr- uh, the uh, chief of safety has been fired. That's a, we'll talk about that a little later as well. Uh, but first, we have uh, Rex Brown on the line. Hey, you know, Rex is assistant director of the governor's. Rex, what is your title? I am the assistant director for the governor's subcabinet on business diversity, Eddie. And it's a pleasure to be with you all today. Good to hear your voice, Hayward. And, oh, thank uh, you. Eddie. Okay, well, <clears throat> we know that uh, uh, last. Uh, Earlier uh, last month, we didn't do too well with I-1000. We did, however, see a lot of uh, the elected officials, uh, the governor, the mayor, the county exec, a lot of folks stepping up for inclusion and fairness. Uh, The sad thing is is that when we look at the disparity studies, we don't see that same form of commitment. But before we even get into that, Rex, I want my listeners to know who you are. I know you went to Cleveland for Thanksgiving, so who you are, what you've been doing, and how'd you matriculate up to being uh, on the governor's sub-cabinet and then the assistant director? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Eddie. I want to take just a few seconds to explain what OMWD is because it could be helpful for your listeners. Um, I uh, uh, have, uh, also to answer your question, I'm originally from uh, Providence, Rhode Island, out in New England, and uh, after... A uh, long career in uh, government, uh, getting a law degree, uh, coming out to Seattle about five years ago, um, or uh, Washington about five years ago. Um, I have uh, been working in uh, issues of diversity and inclusion uh, for uh, the state, Department uh, of Social and Health Services, Department of Enterprise Services, now OMWBE. Uh, I was the uh, contract manager and the project manager for the state first statewide uh, disparity study issued in Ju- June 19, 2019. And um, so that's a little bit about me. And what OMWE does is it uh, leads the governor's subcabinet on business diversity when my work uh, concluded uh, with the successful completion of the diversity of the disparity study. Uh, yeah, at Department of Enterprise Services that came to uh, the Office of Minority Women Business Enterprises to actually implement the uh, voluntary programs and assess for, uh, uh, evaluate for success. Uh, OMWBE is the state's sole certifying agency for small businesses owned and controlled by minority women and socioeconomically disadvantaged persons. Um, it engages in state and local agencies to improve uh, diversity uh, with partners uh, like uh, uh, every single department throughout the state. We're involved also with the Link Deposit Program. We coordinate the Link Deposit Loan Program with Washington State Department of Veterans Affairs 
and the Office of State Treasurer. That's a little bit about what OMWPE does and a little bit about who I am. And we're fortunate to live in a democracy, uh, and I give uh, the people credit for coming out and voting. Uh, the election results do not stop OMWBE from continuing its work on equity and inclusion. That's what we're all about. Now, saying that, how did African descendants of United States enslaved do in the last disparity study that the state did? Uh, those are pretty um, tough numbers to absorb, and um, it's kind of complicated without uh, the assistance of some visual aids, but I'll try. Uh, the, what, what was the percentage, the number of contracts, and the percentage of business that we did? That, that's all I want to know. In the total, uh, it would be about 70.4 in terms of a disparity ratio uh, of contracts. If you're going to look at specific contracts throughout um, by dollars, uh, we're about 1.7% availability in public contracting, because, you know, as a whole, we're about 4% of the population in the state. But that's about $35 million in um, dollars distributed to that population through agencies, not counting uh, PCARD purchases. So now, we're not talking about Department of Social and Health Services yeah. and benefits, are we? We're talking about actual contract work? Uh, we're talking about all aggregated contracts. So uh, all uh, dollars spent with those, with that particular demographic. Okay, so that's, uh, you said, about $35 million, right? Yeah. And how many billions of dollars yes, does the right. state spend? That's right. Uh, so we're looking at about 2.4 total. Uh, 2.4 billion? Well, actually, if you look at the full uh, final data contract file, it's even larger. Okay. But $2.4 billion is the state spend, and a- African descendants of the United States enslaved received $35 million. That's, uh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Okay. So. Uh, but, that, but let me, let me go ahead, say go ahead. to your listeners, this is about 220 pages of data, and this is a highly uh, concentrated discussion we're having, and we're glossing mm. over a lot of details. Yeah, so. I know that, but the bottom line, Rex, is that is that the bottom line is what did our community receive out of the total dollars spent? And we realize that you guys got an uphill battle because we've had 20 years with legalized discrimination that brought about by I-200. But what I'm hoping and what, what is I'm really having some newfound hope is the way I saw all the elected officials come out in support of I-1000. So I'm saying is that I just hope they uh, uh, practice what they preach and what they claim they support. We've had the city of Seattle City Council pass a, a uh, legislation. We've had the mayor issue an executive order. Uh, we've had to count. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just saying a lot of goodwill was expressed, yes. and I just certainly hope that we can turn that into opportunity and action. So uh, go so, ahead. Yeah, hey, well, my question, Rex, was going to go to the uh, OWMBE. You know, we really, really support that organization, I th- and I think Lisa's doing an absolutely fantastic job. The question goes to the budget request, which she requested in terms of funding because they're really expanding that operation. Uh, uh, what are we looking at? Are they going to get fully funded? Right, and I cannot really take a guess at what the governor's budget will be because where all we can do is make the request, and then it goes into the process, and then we find out what the decisions are later throughout the year. So, yeah, um, I know you. T- I know you're testing the wind. How's it blowing? 
Where is the wind blowing? Are we blowing towards that budget or away? Because it's going to have a direct impact, at least on what I do personally, in terms of calling folks, is we need to get it fully funded. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what we need. Uh, that's what we're asking your list, you and your listeners to really help us get the word out mm-hmm. uh, about the importance of this. The disparities are pretty, are pretty steep when you look at the ratios for African-Americans in all of the uh, categories, it's about 70.4, already below a threshold where the inference of discrimination can begin. And if you just take out, and uh, I think it was Eddie who mentioned that before, the social service, client services type uh, direct uh, agency to client care, there's like residential care, um, that sort of thing, it drops down to 2.5%. So we know it's a very low number, and we do need your uh, advocacy uh, to really uh, keep the um, uh, the priority of uh, of our public uh, uh, public life focused on addressing these disparities. So, Rex, uh, what I want to say is that um, I'm happy that you, Lisa, and the, your staff came up to the McKinney yeah. Center. We had a very productive meeting. We asked hard questions, but we are looking forward to working with OMWBE in providing opportunities and hopefully having uh, you and uh, folks from your office come up once we open the center uh, to make sure that our folks are getting. Because, you know, it's been years since uh, African-Americans have had anywhere to go to receive any kind of assistance. Now, I know that Tabor 100 has opened a center in Tukwila. We are in uh, Seattle, and uh, the building that we're in, uh, you know, you're not from here, but a gentleman by the name of Reverend Dr. Sammy Berry McKinney uh, in the 60s brought the OIC concept uh, back to Seattle, and that's why it's called the McKinney Center. Uh, as you know, uh, how the political winds shift, uh, in 1980s, Ronald Reagan cut out all the manpower uh, programs, and this came a few years after Lyndon B. Johnson and Dr. Martin Luther King and others were responsible for bringing us the Great Society programs to make sure that it was aimed for black people in this country uh, the uh, Manpower Act, the Community Action Programs, it also affected the people in Appalachia, but it dealt directly with us because we were the people on the front line, and it's really disheartening to see people like the Chinese immigrants who are well-off come over and undermine our efforts because, you know, it's a, 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 a sad day when people have been here 400 years and someone come here that can't even speak English, didn't die in any wars for this country, didn't work for free like we did, and are able to come in and undermine everything we're doing. So this is the other reason why we'll be asking for a, a specific program for African descendants of the United States enslaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Hasegawa said quotas are illegal, but, you know, we have to have another program that does not rely on a, a private company, these major contractors fulfilling the minority goals. It don't work. After 40 years, I can't point to three black successful uh, subcontractors. who every, They've all been ran out of business. And once that contract's awarded, the agencies have turned their backs. They could give less than a damn what happened to the black contractor on the job. And we got a a number of failures of very qualified people. But because, you know, we had one contract with the city of Seattle, Stacy Whitback, uh, their their, their people were exchanging emails about a retired Seahawk player uh, on, uh, had Breitbart uh, on their uh, company letterhead. Okay. So, I mean, and we brought it to the city's attention, but you know what? They got a bigger contract at Sound Transit. I don't know what black folks are doing with them now, 
But those people should not be allowed to contract in the state of Washington. If you're going to embrace white supremacy, you should be denied access to public dollars in Washington state. So hopefully that's something OMWV could look at. Yeah, and you know, Rex, on, on that note, I just want to know more about the outreach. Now, what's uh, OWMBE going to be doing or what type of services are they going to be conducting in terms of particularly the African-American community, the descendants of the enslaved? What, what's their initial plan to, to move forward? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that, Hayward. We're making changes to policies that will affect a significant portion of state spending, and that number obviously will affect uh, African-Americans. We are moving forward with an electronic data collection and monitoring system to allow uh, us to track diverse and diverse spend and begin to drill down on where the actual gap exists. So we're looking at all the demographics, as we call it, disaggregates or broken out. Uh, and we know that so long as we don't examine these disparities, there are going to be uh, outsized impacts on certain demographics. You know, Rex, I'm going to thank you. Let me thank you for your leadership as it relates to having that uh, uh, disparity study completed. Uh, on that note, in terms of the recommendations, in light of, uh, of what happened with I-1000, Initiative 1000, what is the state's position on implementing the recommendations out of the disparity study? Oh, th- uh, thank you. Uh, so the state has uh, a roadmap uh, for contracting equity, uh, implementing all of the recommendations of the study. That doesn't mean they'll all be done at once, because obviously, obviously some... Uh, uh, foundational work, especially around the outreach, needs to take place uh, first in community engagement. For well, as you can imagine, uh, when some of your listeners uh, don't believe that they've been listening to those programs, we have to do significant community engagement uh, to win back the trust uh, of those uh, uh, listeners and uh, participants. But it's beyond implementing electronic data collection. We're also looking at things like within the construction realm, uh, conducting pre-bid conferences, doing so more scientifically, more uh, data-centered um, decision-making around uh, special outreach efforts for minority and women in industries where they have few opportunities to improve that. Uh, we're also looking at the overall uh, technical assistance and working with the Department of Enterprise uh, Services, as well as the whole sub-cabinet, more than six agencies that comprise uh, close to two-thirds of the state spend to re- uh, do things like review contract sizes and scope. Uh, well, Rex, we're going to have to have you back on, on a regular basis yeah. on at least once a month to keep us updated. And then pretty soon, six months or so, people can come meet you up at the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. But thank you for your time today. We'll be back in touch. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity for you to share your expertise and your knowledge with our listening audience. So thank you. Thank you, Rex. Thank, thank you both so much, and thank you to your listeners. Uh, equity inclusion is important to our governors, directors, state agencies, and it's important to you, and we need your help. Uh, I would like to let everyone know you can find the disparity study and more information on us at omwbe.wa.gov. All right, man. So- Thanks, Rex. We appreciate you. Bye-bye. Okay, our next guest is uh, Maya Manis. Uh, Maya is with the Urban League of, of Metropolitan Seattle, and uh, Maya is uh, dealing with the, uh, the Black Caucus uh, Census 2020. Mm-hmm. And Maya, I'm looking for your title right now. Civic Engagement <laughs> Civic Coordinator. Civic Engagement Coordinator. Okay, right. I, I got looking at all the emails. <laughs> I should have had it written down. 
But anyway, mm-hmm. so um, we, we work closely with the Urban League, with Mark, with uh, Michelle, and other folks down there. You guys are doing an outstanding job. And I want to say the event on uh, last month, on the 22nd, the breakfast was outstanding. And uh, I just wanted to know uh, if you could share with our listeners exactly uh, what your role is and uh, what your goals are in terms of uh, being the Civic Engagement Coordinator with uh, the Black Caucus uh, for the census, the 2020 census. Yes. So um, currently um, what we're seeing with this 2020 census, which was is, which has been very different from the 2010 census, is that the federal government has um, divested into um, the, the Census Bureau and not given them enough dollars to be able to do the work. And so what um, organizations like the Urban League and other community nonprofits have been doing is taking the step, um, taking the step in and filling in for um, the Census Bureau and making sure that people get counted. Um, the importance of being counted is for political representation and for money. Um, we get about $880 billion in federal dollars um, allocated per year. Um, and Washington State has been getting about $16 billion of that pot of money to be able to do things like um, with schools and after-school programs and hospitals and Section 8 food benefits, the list goes on. Um, but since there's been this, this cut in funding on a federal side, we're, we are worried and we're, we're, we are knowledgeable that there's going to be an undercount this year, which can have a long-lasting effect for the next 10 years. So what the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle is trying to get all of the Black-led organizations together and making sure what can we do to make sure we're effective and making sure that we're getting counted and we're being heard and we're being represented. Um, and so, um, and because out of all the historical un- um, undercounted population. Black and brown kids, zero to five, are the most undercounted. And we've been able to see the long-lasting effects on that when it comes to um, education and um, Head, Start education, uh, Head Start programs as well. Now, are we, uh, uh, Amaya, are we keeping track of that data as we collect it or as we reach out to the communities of, of, of black African Americans or communities of color to mm-hmm. get counted? Are we keeping track of the data? Because also along with that, and to that listening population, you must make sure that you're part of the census. We're mm-hmm. gonna have we're gonna start districting, and it's mm-hmm. critical that we have districts that represent our people. So now, yes. so is that data being maintained somehow? Yes. So what our goal is with the Black Caucus for the 2020 Census is not for it to end when the census ends, is for it to be continued on to 2021 and being able to make sure that our voice are heard when redistricting maps come because the surprise one of the surprising things um, with the um, the redistricting commission there's never been a person of color on the commission and there's never been a woman so we we highly want to ensure that our voices are being heard when the maps are being created so yes we are trying to make sure that this coalition or this leadership is not something that ends in the census ends. It's something that we can continue and pushing forward to making sure that specifically our voices are being heard. And uh, 
the event is going to be on uh, what December sixth. Yes, it'll be um, December sixth from one p.m. to three p.m. Um, and we we we've reached out to a lot of the um, main you know volunteer organizations um, and whatnot. We want to get churches involved. We want to get. Um, anybody who has a voice within the community at the table, for one, for them to be knowledgeable about the census and the impact of it so they can be able to share the message to their affiliates, but also to to help us be able to make sure that whatever our messaging is or whatever we say or whatnot, um, it's cohesive and collaborative within um, everybody in the black community. We know number 45 really doesn't want to see us counted. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. So all the listenership out there, make sure, make sure, make sure folks are getting counted. But on yes. that, So do you have an idea of what the agenda is going to be on the six? How is it laid out? Mm -hmm. So it, it's going to be census one-on-one. -on -one, so it's going to be, you know, key facts, key dates, and key myths about the census, and then ways to get involved. So there's things that the Urban League has been pushing for to make sure that um, we, we are able to do this work um, and also um, very creative. We want to keep the creativity going and have them come up with any sort of programming that we should be doing. So it'll be pretty straightforward. What is the census and then what are ways that we can get involved as well as what ways we already have existed to get involved. You know, now, interestingly, for persons incarcerated, are they counted? Mm -hmm. Who's reaching out to them? Or is that being done by the government entity? So um, it, it's very interesting. Um, for, so those who are um, under DOC, they are being counted. And for um, federal funding, where they are incarcerated will be counted. But when it comes to redistricting, wherever they wherever they live at outside of incarceration, that's where they will be counted. So it's a little bit tricky in Washington State when it comes to those who are um, incarcerated because for when it comes to the money, they get it goes to wherever whatever institution they're staying at. But when it comes to the political representation, it's wherever they consider home. Um, but it will be what will happen is what they the Census Bureau say that they're going to do is that um, they will be going to these different um, locations and then asking um, DOC about who they are and then counting it from there. Well, Maya, before we go, I would like to have you give uh, the information one more time. Actually, the event is tomorrow, Friday, yep. December yep. 6th, and you see there's a, a, a meet and greet at 1230 or yep, 12? Mm-hmm. Yep, so there's going to be lunch and meet and greet networking from 1230 to 1, and then the event will start at 1 and end at 3 okay. at the Langston Hughes Performing Arts Center. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll keep up the good work. Thank you. Urban League is doing great things. Thank you. Okay, then, Maya. Mm -hmm. Okay, you too. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and uh, uh, come back with uh, K.L. Shannon, the vice chair of the Seattle Martin Luther King Jr. Amen. Organizing Coalition. 
Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an Orca card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. We all know about violence, certainly we know about it, in Western civilization and all over the world. But I still contend that violence in this struggle will create many more social problems than it will solve. That is something about nonviolence that disarms the opponent. It exposes his moral defenses, it weakens his morale, and at the same time it works on his conscience. If he doesn't beat you, wonderful. If he beats you, you develop the quiet courage of accepting blows without retaliating. If he doesn't put you in jail, wonderful. Nobody with any sense loves to go to jail. But if he puts you in jail, you go in that jail and transform it from a dungeon of shame to a haven of freedom and human... All right, uh, K.L. Shannon is our next guest. He's the vice chair of the... Seattle Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition, and uh, they've been meeting for the last couple of months, and a big event is scheduled for January 20th, 2020. So, Kale, welcome to Urban Forum with Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye once again, and we had to give people a little taste of Dr. King about nonviolence and how to subdue an opponent and get the right things going on. So, will you want to give our listeners an update on where the committee is and uh, any, any big changes or any surprise announcements? Um, uh, well, again, uh, thank you, uh, Eddie and, and Hayward always for your, your, uh, leadership. Um, I think there really isn't any, you know, any real changes this year. I think, you know, our ultimate goal has always been to, um, uh, continue to reflect, uh, Dr. Dr. King's work and his life, and I think that's what we're doing this year as well, uh, through, the, the, through the theme, which is 2020, which is 2020 vision um, this year, uh, and, you know, that's about what, you know, what folks want to, what folks want to do and how they want to continue doing uh, uh, Dr. King's work in, in 2020, and that's you know, um, to issues around economics, housing, uh, police brutality, uh, so many issues that are impacting um, our communities um, that, you know, we need to work on uh, this year. So, now, is there a theme this year? Is there a theme yet? Yeah, the theme is, the theme this year is called 2020 Vision. Hold on for a moment. So that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot January of sense. January 20th yeah. in 2020? 2020. Yeah. And yeah, so the, the, it's called, it's the, the theme this year is 2020 Vision. It's the, the work that, you know, work, what work will you be doing? And again, that, you know, that will work. So, KL, do the, do the workshops yeah. start about 9 o'clock? In the morning, what time does the workshop yeah, start? Yeah, they, they will start about 9 o'clock. And, and uh, how many workshops do we have now? 
Well, um, we're proposing 27 workshops. And we actually met this uh, this morning uh, to discuss workshops, and, and uh, I think people will be um, excited about the workshops. So we're going to be uh, at the next MLK uh, <clears throat> committee. Um, Twenty, we're looking to propose twenty-seven workshops. Oh, excellent! Then the uh, opportunity fair, and that's like a one-stop mm-hmm. shop for anybody looking for a job or to enhance their skills. Now that starts right. about about nine thirty. Yes. That will start about 9.30. Okay. Or, or Eddie's saying 10.30? 8.30. Eight, ooh, ooh, Good job. Man. My bad. 8.30. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it is 8.30. And my then, bad. Then the rally starts at what time? The rally, the rally starts at 11. Rally starts at 11, and then the march. At, and you always conduct a march. The march starts right after the rally about what time? Mm, we, try to, we try to get out of it by 1. And have you identified the route yet? No, we've been playing. We've been playing with. Um, um, we got some ideas uh, of what we want to do. So, um, and what we'll, uh, uh, meeting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we uh, we're gonna do something. May do something. Okay, we're having a hard time yeah, with the audio, breaking. but anyway. So there is a meeting coming up on Tuesday at Langston Hughes at 630. Yes. And also, yes. if people want information, they can also sign up via the uh, MLK website. Can you give us that website address? Sorry, I can't hear you. What did you say? No, the uh, Seattle MLK Organizing Coalition's website address. That's it. What you All just right. Said. I just want to <laughs> yeah. make sure I had it right. Okay, yeah. Kale. Well, hey, we appreciate okay. you. And uh, so we'll we'll. Thank you. We'll, we'll I get good with you soon, so thanks a lot. Thank you for all your okay. great work. Okay, we'll see you okay. Tuesday at 6.30 at Langston News for the next meeting. Yes, thank you. Go Bye. to the website and get educated and sign up at the same time. There you go. All yes. right, K.O. Shannon, That's Vice Chair, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. You as well. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Okay, uh, Hayward, I noticed that, uh, first of all, I agree with Reverend Jesse Jackson uh, oh. saying that uh, – Deval Patrick and uh, Bloomberg should not enter the race. That's right. Now, people got to understand, I don't care how much money Bloomberg got. He destroyed a lot of black and brown families with his racial profiling. If he wants to do something, he needs to take some of them billions of dollars and make those black and brown families whole that he destroyed with his supremacist racial profiling. So uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, Michael Bloomberg is not on my to-vote-for list. Uh, he has demonstrated a propensity of discriminating against black and brown people, yeah. and his record speaks for itself. If you want to do something, make those folks whole, and then we can talk from there. Okay, our next guest is on the line, and uh, that is uh, Lisa Marks from the Carpenters Training Program. Lisa Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye here, and thank you once again for serving on the committee. It was good to see you uh, the other night at the meeting on, at Denny's down on 4th Avenue South. Have to give them a plug as well. <laughs> so, Lisa, why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your background before we talk about the event on the January 20th, 2020. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, thank you for letting me be part of this awesome committee. I love being part of the Opportunity Fair. Um, I work outreach and retention for Northwest Carpenters Institute, so that would be the Carpenters Apprenticeship 
And in doing that, my job is going around and telling people about the opportunities that we have within the Carpenter's Apprenticeship. So we have a lot of apprenticeship programs to choose from. It's not just carpentry. We actually have many other crafts that they can pick from. And there's so many opportunities in the trades right now for folks to get good living wage jobs with good benefits. And that is something that I'll be able to talk about at our booth out at the Seattle MLK Day, the Martin Luther King Holiday Celebration at Garfield High School. We'll have a booth out there. And I'll be happy to help everybody, you know, navigate the website, figure out how to get in and fill out an application and, you know, be able to learn about these opportunities. So, uh, Lisa, so uh, give us just a little bit more about now. I know you are all over the Northwest, I guess. You are at at, at, at graduation event today up north. Is that right? Uh, no, actually, I was not able to go to that graduation ceremony today up north, but I will be at one tomorrow up okay. north. So. Well, that was good for us. You didn't go because you're yeah. on the air. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> so I know. That worked out well for but us. Go ahead. It did, but I did. I did. Um, I do cover the entire state of Washington, so I um, travel around everywhere, and I get to tell a lot of people about the opportunities that are that are within the trades. And um, I, I mostly concentrate a lot in the Seattle and Tacoma areas because we have a lot of people, a lot of work, and a lot of opportunities. So sure. I do attend many, many different career fair events. I go to a lot of schools. I work with the tribes. I work with um, pre-apprenticeship programs. And pre-apprenticeship programs are really a good way for folks if they don't have any training at all to be able to figure out, you know, like what trade they want to be in and learn a little bit about those trades before they actually go out to the job site. You know, Lisa, I think that's really great. And I usually tell the young people, look, get a trade. You can go anywhere in the world with a good trade. Then if you want to go to a university or four-year institution, then go there. But I guess mm-hmm. my, my, my question is going to go back. In terms of outreach to the community, are you advertising in, in papers of color, particularly the facts and the medium? Our community. Are you in those papers, or are you planning on advertising in those papers? Uh, we we don't advertise in those papers. I don't think that we have advertised in those papers in the past. But I can talk to our council. Uh, Rodney Williams is uh, the outreach person for our council, and I'm sure he is aware of those, and we will take a look in that. Yeah, please. I'm recommend. I'm looking at. We're recommending that because for us, okay. a lot of our young people, you know, they look at that paper, they look at the facts, they look at the medium, they look mm-hmm. at the medium, and they see what's going on football league, and they get contemporary information. So, for our, from my perspective, it's important that the outreach mm-hmm. or advertisements done in, in papers of color. Mhm. Yeah, we'll definitely talk to him about that. Lisa, I also would if you look to share your experience uh, being at that. Opportunity Fair. We just had KL from the uh, MLK Organizing Coalition. She was just on a minute ago. But if you could just share with our listeners your experience uh, being and being a part of the committee and being at the event. What's that now? I'm sorry. No, I was I just I just asking you to share with our listeners your experience of being at the Opportunity Fair, what you saw, uh, and just give our uh, listeners a firsthand account of what your experience at the event was. Oh, my gosh. It is just amazing. 
I've seen so many people leave there so enlightened and so empowered because they find out about all these opportunities that they had not known about. There's a lot of help and a lot of resources there. So we always have an area where folks, if they don't have their resumes or if they need their resume sharpened up, we'll have a resume room available where people can get their resumes all cleaned up and ready to go so that they can go out and give them to some of those employers that are out there, um, people there to help. I'm sure there will be some pre-apprenticeship programs there as well. And like I said, pre-apprenticeship is actually a really awesome tool for folks that have have not got any carpentry experience or any kind of trade experience whatsoever because it's going to teach them all the basics. They also have a lot of resources that are attached to those pre-apprenticeship programs that can help them overcome barriers, financial barriers, like, um, you know, let's say if they had driver's license issues or something, they can help them get the driver's license. If um, they needed help getting their tools or their boots or the things that they need to start out with, you know, they can they can do that. There's just so many, so many resources available now to help break down those barriers and help folks to really be able to find their way into these pathways. You know, we love the, the fact that it's a sort of a one-stop platform with resources and opportunity, including assisting with the resume. But if somebody was mm-hmm. going to sign up for your program, how would that work if they wanted to get into an apprenticeship program for carpentry? If they wanted to get into the carpentry program, they're going to go onto our website, which is nwci.org. They're going to pick their craft. Because we have about, like I said, about eight different to choose from. We've got um, we've got general carpentry, interior systems carpentry, scaffolds, millwrights, pile drivers, shipwright boat builders, tapers, um, a lot of different different crafts under that umbrella. Trade show. So there's there's quite a few. Wow. What's the timeline? Say if I was going to go on the internet and I sign up, what's my timeline to to actually begin a class? Uh, if you were to put your application in, what you're going to do is once you get your application in, it's going to prompt you for trade orientation. So you're going to go in and you're going to try out. So you're going to do some hands-on skill and you're going to take a math test and a few different things to see where your level is at for being able to come into the program. And then that is going to get you to an interview, that score. It's going to get you to an interview. And then after you've done your interview, that score is going to determine your rank eligibility. Now, God, so, for, God forbid, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't do well. Is there anything I can do to improve my skill set to pass? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. That's where the pre-apprenticeship comes in. And most of the pre-apprenticeships are free. They're free. It's free training to get you ready to, to come into apprenticeship. And they have amazing math teachers. They, like I said, they've got resources and stuff. There's a new pack Pace, um, and soon to be center. the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. You know, uh, Pastor Ricky Willis and Guy Astley had the pre-apprenticeship program in SVI, uh, so that yeah, is now going to be. That's the PAC. That's the PAC program. Okay, They're we're awesome. going to bring that yeah. back, and yep. we're going we're going to be looking for you to have a heavy participation uh, in terms of being on a board, advisory committee, or something with all the resources that you bring to the table, the knowledge you have about the programs. Yep. Yes, definitely. I'll, I'll be there. At, I'll have a booth, and I'll be able to tell folks about the different pre-apprenticeship programs, the ones that might fit for them, and 
um, you know, what, how to, how to navigate the website to come into our program. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for being on the Opportunity Fair Committee Absolutely. and look forward to seeing you at least one time before the first of the year. So thank you very much for your time today and thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you. Look uh, forward to seeing you at the Opportunity Fair as well. All right. Thank, now, thank, thank you, you, Lisa. Lisa Marks with the thank Carpenters. You. Thank you very much. All right. We got a little Martin Luther King hooked up there, so we're going to play a little Martin before we go to Jonathan Johnson, our last guest for the day. The nation is sick, trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men in some strange way are responding. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up, and wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, or Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same, we want to be free. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Bored with the other stations, hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety. Okay, Eddie Ryan Hayward Evans back. Our next guest is Jonathan Johnson, the first vice president of Tacoma Branch NAACP. They've been doing great things over there. Jonathan is involved in so many different committees, including the Black Collective, where I see him on a regular basis on Saturday mornings. But Jonathan, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And why don't you take a couple of minutes and share some of your extensive resume with our listeners? Oh, Eddie, good to, good to talk with you. Well, uh, you know, I uh, came to Tacoma from uh, New Mexico uh, as a soldier and ended up finding Tacoma to be my home. And so I've been involved in uh, youth development, uh, been uh, with the Tacoma NAACP now since uh, about 2006. <clears throat> I work with, uh, as you said, the Black Collective, Black Education Strategy Roundtable, uh, Kids at Hope organization, trying to make sure that we change the culture of schools, and uh, also work with Vibrant Schools, which is involved with schools here in Tacoma. And uh, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things that we're, we're doing right now we've been doing in Tacoma for some time is our, our raffle Christmas or holiday raffle this year our top prize is $500 cash I'll say that again $500 cash and uh, so we're going to make sure that uh, people in the community uh, get an opportunity to get a, uh, 
ticket and comes to the door. We have a free uh, event that evening. Uh, it's uh, a great opportunity for people in the community of Tacoma to come together and, you know, just have a social time together. Talk about what's going on. In addition, we have door prizes. In addition to the door prizes, we have prizes that will be uh, gifts that we'll give out to people. Have a fun time. And then something we started about oh, about six years ago, we've been providing laptop computers to the youth that come in and get a ticket and are able to uh, compete for a, for a laptop computer. This year we're giving Lenovo laptops that are Windows uh, 10 installed, fully licensed software. And uh, we also have those dual bootable computers so that they can actually, uh, actually run Linux Mint. For those in education, you know that's the software that, uh, or the operating system that allows the development of education throughout the world. 54,000 free applications in that software. So, yeah, we got a lot going on. We want to invite the community and to find out where we are. Uh, if you just go to NAACP, I'll make that uh, 253NAACP.org. You get uh, get to our calendar. It shows the location. It shows the time, and uh, all tells you also about our, our raffle ticket. So um, we're excited. We always have a good time there. Uh, people leave with a with a few gifts and also a, uh, a nice meal and a chance chance to really get to know our neighbors. Jonathan, can you share with our listeners like some of the issues that the Tacoma branch has taken on over the past year? This past year. Um, any kind of issues and advocacy you guys have provided? Absolutely. Uh, I focus primarily on education. And, uh, you know, something happened about three years ago, and we started getting a lot more cases of advocacy, people mm. having uh, issues with schools and students and uh, the behaviors of folks uh, were becoming more and more uh, arrogant in many cases. And so we've been... We've been working that issue throughout the school. We've been, um, we work on the, uh, the legal redress when people feel that they have been mistreated in their workplace or in their uh, place of living. And we've had several instances of that that we work with our families to make sure that we can, we can help them out. But the most important thing that we provide is a, a community of people who come together and support each other. So membership, if you're a member of the Tacoma branch, NAACP, we want to make sure that we are able to support one another and do many, many of the things that we work together. And I'm a member. Had, you're a member. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a member in good are. standing, too. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what we need. We yeah. need members, and we need members who have a gift and then want to share that gift with our community. Well, you as know, a matter I, of fact, I, uh, I was telling Pastor Christopher, uh, Reverend Dr. Greg Christopher is the president of the Tacoma branch, NAACP, I was telling him that, I might sleep in on the collective this Saturday morning and come to the social because I would like to meet some of the other folks that uh, that you guys are involved with. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I'm over there. I might come to both of them. What the heck? Amen. <laughs> hey, because you, you guys know, take welcome. care of plenty of business. You know, it's so, such a great place. Yeah, it is a great place to be. Hey, now, let, now, Jonathan, you've sort of had a lifetime in education. From from your observations, with all the implied biases that exist. How's it coming along in terms of addressing that issue of the educational achievement gap for black children? Well, you know, I, I am a computer guy. 
and I've come up with this idea that if you run programs to fix things and the problems in the operating system, you will never fix the problem. And, and to me, that, that's essential because by operating system, no matter what computer you have or what person that you have, if you've been socialized to believe that it's not possible to educate a, a person, mm-hmm. guess what happens? And if we don't engage people with that level of not checking a box and saying I took the class, but actually change of behavior, you're not going to be able to change the outcome. So that's why we partnered with Kids at Hope. We've actually worked with several other organizations because it comes down to what you believe. If you don't believe it's possible to build a bridge, don't bid on the contract. If you don't think it's possible to educate all kids, why are you in education? And, and many people are doing things in education that are harmful to our students, and they're not even aware of it. So our job is to try to help them recognize what's happening to our kids and how do we make a change. And, and it's amazing when we see the educators, when that light goes on for them, it changes everything for them and also for our students. So you see the different, the various school districts accepting implied bias training? Well, again, if, if I provide a class and people come to the class and check their names off, that is insufficient. However, if you have a class that involves interactive uh, relationship building and how you build a, a, belief, a trust in students and students in the, in the educators, that will change the equation. And that's why we're so, you know, we're, we're really committed to the, the organization we're partnering with, the Kids at Hope organization, because they, they help us with our computers, the, the software for our computers, but they also help us develop that kind of relationship where an educator has that conversation with a student and actually lets that student know they believe in them. If they believe it's possible for a student to learn, I guarantee you that student's going to stand up and reach that expectation. But we have to work also on our community to make sure our students know that there are people who believe in them. And that belief process changes the equation. It happens frequently when I see schools that are doing that, schools that have made that transition, discipline goes down, performance goes up, and students begin to feel how they are integrated into the community rather than ostracized as being someone they don't want to be around. Uh, it, it's an interesting process, but it's something that takes a lot of work on all concerns. Jonathan, uh, uh, the other issues, I also noticed that, you know, you guys have a number of people coming through the, the Black Collective, like uh, I guess the retiring sheriff of Pierce County, Sheriff uh, Pastor, is retiring. And I also see on the headlines today that uh, Representative Denny Heck is retiring. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so and, uh, and that's that's one of the important parts of the collective is it gives us a forum on Saturday mornings to actually engage with each other. It's something that many communities really need to be able to do. Uh, I've not seen it, you know, in my travels with the military. I've not seen it in any other places, but I'm very impressed with how it's been produced here and how people feel welcome and how we actually develop the kinds of relationships so that when we say we're working on something, it's, you can be sure those projects are being worked on. 
And Jonathan, on that note, projects being worked on, can you just share with our listening audience some of the projects that you're currently working on now? Well, some of the projects that we're working on is with the district uh, of correction with the uh, the NAACP is uh, we our our education committee is working with the school district with our um, League of Women Voters and also the auditor's office because uh, we're trying to make sure that students when they leave school have the habit of voting. Uh, we have 85% of our, our people, our population, registered, but they're not voting. So we're working on uh, a long-term effort to get uh, student governments and students in the schools to really get a little fun competition going to see who has who is, is reaching, keeping it 100, keeping 100% of their students that are eligible to vote voting and keeping that going into their adult lives because we can complain about how things are, but if we don't vote, we're not move, moving the ball to change what's happening within our community. And so on, the, on that note, are we doing anything with the governor's office to make sure that adequate funding is going to be in the state budget? Because I think they underfunded Tacoma last year. Yes, uh, yes, they did. And we, through mu- multiple organizations, we partnered with, again, Vibrant Schools, one of the organizations here in the community, focused on students of color and students uh, with, uh, with, within poverty. And we're, we're also working, as I say, with Kids at Hope. We're working with uh, the Black Education Strategy Roundtable. And we're trying to come up with a consolidated strategy for dealing with those things based on the gift and the focus of each of those organizations. Uh, the Black Education Strategy Roundtable is primarily, primarily focused on policy. The NAACP Tacoma, we have a mandate from our headquarters to work with advocacy for students mm-hmm. and families. But we're also realizing that if I only, if we only focus on the problem that's before us, we will be hit with those problems coming over the horizon that we don't see yet. Okay, so Jonathan, we're looking, we're looking at those things as well. Okay, Jonathan, we are out of time, Excellent. but I want to thank you. Have to have you back on. You have a wealth of knowledge. You can thank give our listeners much. a lot of ideas about what they can do in their local community. So I'll probably see you Saturday morning and Monday after Monday evening. So uh, thank you very much for your time, brother. We appreciate all the work you, the collective, the NAACP, and all the folks over there are doing. Looking forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Right. Okay, uh, Hayward, don't you have an announcement about Ina Howe? Ina Howe received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Association of Black School Educators. And she's a member of Mount Zion. That's what I was okay. going to say. Amen. Okay. Uh, the other thing, before we go, I want to let you know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transfer Small Business Development Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Person Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier, the Port of Seattle will be talking to me in on next Monday about doing something with uh, the diversity and contracting at the Port of Seattle, Concourse Concessions, David Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, with uh, Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett, and Stephanie Ogle does our website, and we got about 30 seconds of Martin Luther King before we go to the next meeting. Is it Langston Hughes Tuesday at 6.30? There you go. And another reason that I'm happy to live in this period is that we have been forced to a point where we are going to have to grapple with the problems that men have been trying to grapple with through history but the demands didn't force them to do it. Survival 
demands that we grapple with them. 